Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of Advice Around the World. We're Ian Horn and Amelia Garland from CityWire and we're here to talk about the stories and people that make financial planning the great profession that it is. So Amelia, where is the podcast taking us today? Well, Ian, this week we are heading to Montreal to speak with Brenda Bartlett of PWL Capital. Brenda runs one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in all of Canada and has a social platform second to none. Brenda has a brilliant team of advisors and offers a very impressive suite of services to her clientele. Her leadership skills have created a unique culture of integrity and transparency, and her strategic vision and team building expertise are unparalleled. Residing in Montreal, Brenda is also fully bilingual. So Brenda Bartlett, bienvenue à Advice Around the World. Hi, it's a pleasure to join you today. Unfortunately, unlike Amelia's attempt now, I can't speak any French, much like most <laughs> English people. Uh, and if I stick to government guidelines, I can't even go to France. But um, I hope you know you're taking part in advice around the world uh, in English. Um, this tradition we're going to start with is also in English. So I want you to remember, well, imagine now, and we ask this one to all of our guests. You've probably heard this one before. I want you to imagine you're at a dinner party and it's not in Quebec. And the person next to you has asked you to tell us, you know, something interesting about yourself and something that we wouldn't know, something a bit different. What, Brenda, is your answer? Wow. Um, I think I would uh, have to kind of go back in time to uh, my formative years because there certainly I grew up in a family. My father was an entrepreneur and um, we had a family business. Um, and uh, it was his style that, you know, I'm, I'm one of four children and he would always put us in these situations and uh, send us on, on uh, different, um, uh, you know, missions or trips and, and we would learn from it. He would put us, throw us in the deep end uh, in a nice way. Um, and now when we look back on this as a family, we have the most hilarious discussions about this. And one instance that I would share at this dinner party was when I was a teenager. And I was in, I don't know, the first year of high school. Um, and uh, my father, we, in Canada, we were having a postal strike at that time. And this is, of course, long before the internet and PDFs and document transfer. Uh, and in his business, uh, he did a lot of uh, exporting, and so shipping documents um, uh, were required to be at the destination. And because there was this national postal strike, he couldn't get the documents to the destination. And uh, I you know, came home from school, and he came home from work and said, uh, hey, how about you go to London tonight? What? You know, I have a math test tomorrow. I can't go to London tonight. <laughs> And he said, no, no, I need you to take all these documents, all the uh, bills of lading and everything to do, do the customs clearing for our products. And anyways, that was kind of my life. And my mother would say, can't someone else go? Like, and oh no, she's under 15. She'll get the youth there. <laughs> this is entrepreneurs. <laughs> oh so yeah, 14 years old. I mean, what do teenagers do? They're not flying to London and back with documents. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of uh, our life. It was very spontaneous. It was very entrepreneurial. And I guess, you know, even though I certainly had lots of differences with my father, when I look back on that, the formative years, 
he really instilled in us um, a sense of seeing what was possible. And, um, and, and you know, this, he was very creative and a big problem solver. And I think he instilled that in me. So those, I have, I have lots and lots of funny stories that, you know, got, I got kicked out of Jersey and the Channel Islands. And, you know, I find, oh, come on, Dad. Like, how can you do this to me? <laughs> so, so there are lots of stories that I could tell at a dinner party. And I think I would probably end up, they probably, a couple bottles of wine later, they might say, okay, stop. <laughs> I've got to ask, did you, have, did you actually have a test when you, were sent, when you, when you flew yes. to London? And, yeah, and yeah. Back in time, did you have any hope or, or no? In the, t in the test? Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, I took my study seriously, but I would have to study. It wasn't something that, you know, I could just sort of breeze through. Mm. Um, and I was just in shock. You know, I was a first year of secondary school and what? He's like, I'll write you a note. Don't worry. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and he would drive me to the airport. I'm going, what? What? Here's your passport. Go. That is crazy. And you would go by yourself. Just oh, yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, and, and there's always, there's never a problem without a solution. And mm -hmm. that was kind of his view to building his business. His business got very big. And of course, you know, frozen foods didn't really interest me. Um, <laughs> and I did not pursue that. But we learned like very, from a very young age, uh, what it takes to build a business. Well, you definitely kept that entrepreneurial spirit with uh, everything you've done at PWL Capital. So yes. to, to kick things off, Brenda, for our audience listening around the world, could you explain a bit about the advice market in Montreal and how your firm, as we mentioned, has become one of the fastest growing in all of Canada? Well, that's, um, it's a big question and it might be a bit of a long-winded answer. So I give you permission to cut me off. Um, but it goes beyond Montreal. We, in Canada, uh, our landscape in the financial advice business is really dominated by six Canadian banks. And these six Canadian banks have probably 85% or 90% market share. <clears throat> and they themselves have brokerage arms, you know, much like the integrated model in the U.S. And, um, and so for an independent, a small independent um, advice firm. We are technically a broker dealer according to our license, but we deliver financial planning and investment management services to our clients. Um, the question, you, you could look at this and say, oh, you know, we're finished. You know, there's no room to play as an independent. We should just sell the firm and call it a day. Um, or you can look for the opportunities in the landscape. And so, um, Really, I'd say that there's no silver bullet to what's happened at PWL. Um, we've experienced like incredible growth over the last seven years. And we really, there were several factors that kind of um, fell into place, if you will, that um, made this possible. And one of them was uh, that we have um, a, a bunch of young advisors. And uh, I will say that my skeptical self um, when this advisor said, you know, I'm starting a blog, um, he was very, very shy and he wasn't going to be doing the um, seminar circuit or the cocktail circuit. Uh, he said, I'm going to start a blog and see what, where it goes from here. I said, sure, knock yourself out. Um, and then uh, I said, oh, you know, you're going to get university students with $5,000 to their name, 
these aren't going to be the typical clients that we would look for. Mm -hmm. One part of who I am is I'm happy to be proven wrong. I mean, you come in with all of your assumptions and your previous experiences, but you have to have the ability to listen and, and really learn from people all around you, whether it's peer level firms or whether it's our young advisors. And so happy to say that this was the start of our content um, creation uh, kick. And so as our advisors, as we moved into this, we formalized it. He got 75% of his new prospects from his blog. So when I looked at that, I went, wow, okay, there's something going on here. We need to adjust. And when you look at our landscape in Canada, dominated by these six huge banks that have in Canada, our banks are both loved and hated. Mm -hmm. They are loved because they are household brands and every client, whether it's in their own personal uh, savings and investment portfolio, or whether it's in the pension plans for the employers, everybody has got somehow an investment and an exposure to these banks. So they're household brands, they're very deeply trusted and you know that's a hard act to break into. So um, understanding that we could create content and that the internet was such a low cost, if not free method to distribute and disseminate our messages, the strategy really started to gel around, well, if we can generate content and, and really be systematic about this, let's put a structure in place where we can help our advisors get their message out directly to the end uh, Canadian investor. I knew that we would not be able to outspend the banks or outshout the banks. And so you really have to look for the opportunity. And what I saw was the white space in between the big banks and their branches on every corner and their big brands to here's a message that I know there's pent up demand for. It's just that PWL as a small firm didn't have the means to use traditional media to get that message out. So switch, switch your path, use what's available, and it's all about seeing the opportunity. Yeah, so Brenda, I'm guessing it kind of helps being being different, doesn't it? But but how do you kind of firstly differentiate yourself from the big banks? Um, and secondly, how do you obviously you're using blogs and things like that, but what kind of wording do you use to get that message out there? Do you know, do you need to be quite antagonistic or do you just need to be, you know, out in the public? You know, how, how do you get that message across in the right way? So that, that's a really good question, Ian. Um, it, first of all, we wouldn't be negative. Uh, we wouldn't go um, negative as a, as you might see in like the US election campaigning. <laughs> they always go negative. <laughs> It was not going to benefit us to pick a fight with the banks because mm -hmm. they could squash us like a fruit fly. Um, and instead, we always took the high road and you know, it, come back, it comes back to the values of the firm and the culture of the firm. You know, Very, very high on integrity, on honesty and on transparency. And so if we play, if we go back to these foundational cornerstones, our message was always framed around being transparent and helping all the public understand how the industry worked and how investments work, how the securities market works. So it became a, um, a really very, I, I, I am a little bit reluctant to use the word educational because educational implies that other people are not informed, but it was really about communicating the straight goods to the investing public. 
Um, and it became, you know, here are the top questions you need to ask your advisor. Uh, here's how to calculate investment managed investment portfolio performance. Um, mm -hmm. I should say that again. So, you know, like here's how to calculate your portfolio performance. And if anybody tells you anything different, they're lying. <laughs> and so it was being able to put the facts and put some tools into the public's hands so that they could ask the right questions to their advisor. And it was never about a sales pitch. It was never about come to us, we're the best, uh, you know, we'll get you X, Y, Z performance because that's just not who we are. Mm -hmm. And can I ask you a question about regulation? Because in the UK, you know, banks did, you know, before regulation came in, we had the retail distribution review here. Um, banks were quite prominent in the advice space, but then when they had to improve standards, you know, it coincided with the banks moving away from advice. Uh, and my understanding is that you don't actually have a national regulator in Canada. Is that right? It's, it's absolutely true. And uh, it is a public debate that has been going on for at least two decades. So, um, you know, it's again, self-interested parties are in this debate and the six banks throw their weight around. So we have um, a broker dealer regulator that uh, is called IROC. Um, it's, a, it's an acronym. Um, and IROC will oversee all of the broker dealers, including the large broker dealers of the integrated uh, banks um, and all their channels. Um, but it also regulates PWL. Um, and so I have the same rule book as the Royal Bank of Canada. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a high bar uh, from IROC. But then we have the Mutual Fund Dealers Association. We have each province has a um, securities um, regulator and that you can get registered in a province as an investment council firm or a portfolio management firm and report to your provincial regulator. And so we have 13 regulators uh, IROC being another kind of more national regulator, but only for broker dealers, then a national mutual fund dealer uh, regulator and a financial planning regulator. And, you know, you can see that this is developing into a patchwork quilt of regulations and uh, the lack of consistency in standards across the country. So it's, it's a very tricky um, uh, very tricky uh, landscape to navigate. Mm. And for people starting up, are there kind of high bars to the educational standards they need to achieve, you know, with qualifications or, um, you know, is it quite easy to get into financial planning? Well, that's a tricky question and I don't want to offend any of the, my, my fellow advisors out there, but uh, I would say that the Mutual Fund Dealer Association has a lower bar um, the IROC regulated broker dealers at least have um, their exams and becoming an investment advisor. You have to pass four different exams um, and go through a training program. And then you can continue to improve your accreditations with different levels, higher levels of um, uh, exams and accreditations. And so at PWL, we encourage everybody. Education is one of our um, foundational cornerstones again, and we really encourage lifelong learning for all of our employees. So becoming an investment advisor, we, we fund this. I mean, there's a cost to it all. And we encourage everybody who is willing to learn and has that capability to continue to learn and get their accreditations. Um, and so 
Yeah, it's a patchwork quilt of um, regulations and standards. Um, but, you know, the CFA, the Chartered Financial Ad uh, Analyst, the CFA designation is one of the uh, gold standards around the world. And um, that uh, we encourage all of our advisors, if they're willing to take on that commitment and uh, um, to, to learning and to writing these exams, we have, uh, I think we have 15 CFAs in the firm. So um, that's really the gold standard and the pinnacle of accreditations. Mm -hmm. And on the, the on the education side of things, um, you mentioned earlier with your your marketing efforts um, and the social content you produce is is really helping kind of give advice on investments um, to kind of the broader public um, in Canada. So, do you find that perhaps there is you know an advice gap from you know the wealthy and ultra wealth having this you know reasonably good advice to kind of those at the lower end of the spectrum um, that need, you know, that type of content that your firm's producing? Um, well, so that's another good question. We don't tailor our advice to only the high net worth or ultra high net worth. Um, everyone, uh, you know, any citizen in Canada, anybody, any Canadian with some savings and a, a registered retirement plan could benefit from this advice. It's really about shining a light on how the industry works, exposing a lot, there are lots of conflicts of interest on how advisors are incented by product manufacturers and to sell house products um, and exposing that and really equipping people to ask the right questions to their advisors. Um, and this, so this whole strategy of generating content and informing people um, has meant that by not asking for the business over time, people will follow, uh, they'll read the blogs, they'll follow the podcasts, they'll uh, go on our website, they might have a favorite advisor that they want to follow. And the whole dynamic now around a prospect uh, approaching, uh, actually landing a prospect, I should say from the advisor's rule, the whole dynamic of going out to find prospects has changed completely at PWL. And by putting out this content and making it available at no charge, and we're, there's no hook, there's no sort of, you have to give me your email address if you want to download this article, none of that. It's strictly, we put it out to inform the public. That has created this um, attraction that people, readers, Canadians will feel attracted to us. And when they are good and ready to raise their hand and say, I'd like an appointment, with any one of our offices, whether it's in Montreal or Ottawa or Toronto or Waterloo, Ontario, um, the dynamic has completely changed. And now people are raising their hands and signaling to an advisor. And the conversation doesn't, it starts with the prospect saying, I'd like to open an account. Mm. And the advisor is saying, well, wait a minute, like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is the first conversation often. Uh, so that dynamic has completely changed and has contributed to this, you know, wave of growth that we're, we're experiencing. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. And I'd like to take the conversation down a slightly different channel because, you know, this, this client acquisition method, you know, as you said, wasn't your own idea. Uh, you were kind of happy to adopt it and run with it, um, yeah. which is, you know, I don't think every business owner or leader may be 
is great at doing that, great at delegating ideas or, or even running with ideas that weren't theirs. So I think my, my question to you kind of building on from this, is, you know, considering that the firm's growing and that you're up against these big banks is, is you know, what is leadership to you? You know, um, if we've got listeners that run their own businesses or are managing people, you know, what, what makes a good leader, do you think? Uh, well, so that's a very big topic. Um, and I don't profess to have all the answers on everything, but I think that's probably the starting point of a good leader. Someone who recognizes in themselves what their strengths are and what their gaps are. And I will happily say, you know, this was not my idea. And you, you need to be, you need to have enough humility to say, that sounds like a good idea. Let me use the experience I bring to the table to say, hmm, like, what if we tried that? What are the, the consequences of that outcome? Could it kill the company or could, you know, is it, you know, and I've deemed that it was relatively inconsequential if it didn't work. So let's try it. You have to have this appetite to, to listen to others and really internalize that. You know, you gotta keep your eyes on the horizon um, and, mm -hmm. and the listen to others and continuously learning. Yeah, I mean, from that, I mean, how do you kind of deal with, with hierarchy within the business? You know, are there <laughs> defined boundaries between new starters and senior management, or are you quite open plan, quite kind of new age about it? Like, how yeah. does it work? Yeah, we're very um, flat as an organization. So I wouldn't use hierarchy in, in, inside of PWL. Um, as, uh, you know, a term that was used earlier in our conversation was servant leader. We have like a six um, advisory teams. We have 65 employees, six client service teams. And um, I think as part of our um, uh, directional change to capture this social media opportunity and content creation um, was also the clarity in the roles inside our company. Um, and really lead advisors and portfolio managers in our firm, they have only two things to do in life. They are the hardest things to do in the company. So I have only respect for um, all of these uh, team leaders and portfolio managers. And that is they need to get clients and they need to serve clients. And my role is to take everything else off their desks so that they, we play to our strengths and their strengths is in client relationships. Um, and so we don't want them doing administration. We don't want them doing compliance. We don't want them dealing with technology problems and, and all of that. And so we remove all of that um, administration and we offer a platform that they can use as a springboard so they can work as hard in very long hours or not. But, you know, the growth is coming from the people who have embraced uh, content creation and are ready to devote the time that it takes. It's work. It's definitely mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Each of our advisors that has uh, experienced uh, significant growth is 100% dedicated to generating content. And probably um, our biggest success story is uh, the podcast out of Ottawa, uh, that's called the rational reminder. Um, and in, I don't know, that's two years, I think 18 months or two years, time flies, but <laughs> they have rocketed up to become one of the biggest downloaded, uh, podcasts in Canada. Wow. That's, that's huge. Mm. Yeah. 
So, so back to your question, what does it take to be a leader? I think you have to have uh, the ability to recognize the strengths in others and to seize on those ideas and run with them as best you can. So I, uh, I had a boss at one point in my career that used to say, I don't have a monopoly on ideas. Like everybody can come up with ideas. And, and that's absolutely true. And we are very, I'm very lucky to be surrounded by um, young, bright, talented people who um, who have a ton of ideas. Yeah, so to kind of add to that then um, and give it a bit of a different spin, you know, how do you how do you create that culture within your business, especially across different offices because mm-hmm. you're spread across Canada? You know, and, and what team building exercises have you tried? You know, are there any that have worked or even any that haven't worked? You know, what 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 have you been doing? Um, so that is uh, also uh, a key key piece to um, the success is the culture, and I will say that. We don't really have one culture, but we do have foundational principles and values across all of our offices. But the culture is really, um, it's the tone at the top. And so it's partly me, but it's partly the leaders of each team. And as they, they um, build their team, like the client service team was really a model that um, is used very often in consulting, business consulting. And I did a stint at ENY Business Consulting. Um, in my career and the client service team is really the ability to surround the client with all of the expertise that they need at any point in their financial life uh, lifetime, their life journey. And so that is what we call our advisor teams. And those advisor teams, two things to do in life, get clients, serve clients. Um, and then all of the rest of the uh, pieces of the process and the value chain are delivered in a, in a sort of a company platform way. Um, and so the culture can vary between each office, but there are certain foundational pieces that, we, that are non-negotiable. For example, we uh, believe in uh, passive investing. So asset class, um, uh, top-down, uh, investing. And this is our, our, our investment philosophy. Um, and we will not waver from that. So um, that is common across all advisory teams. Uh, another thing that is absolutely we will unwaver from is that we will never produce or manufacture products. Because while it's an extremely lucrative business to get into, um, it, is, it creates these uh, conflicts of interest um, who are we serving? Are we serving the client or are we serving ourselves by selling these products? So we will never become a product manufacturer. Um, and uh, another kind of a third unwavering principle is that we always, um, every single client of ours will have a financial plan, have either retirement projections based on their personal circumstances, of course. Um, they will have the financial planning expertise that each of our client service teams has. So it's really, you know, the investment philosophy is one thing that keeps our business model clean and simple and, and, uh, and I would say even low risk. We're not stock jockeys. We're not trying to chase down the next hot dot in the securities world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that makes managing the organization really a lot simpler. Um, but it also makes capturing the growth being a, a very big focus for each of our client service teams. So we're not... Like the investment solutions, that, that problem's been solved. We've got that little mousetrap. Uh, we need to focus on uh, helping more Canadians 
getting the word out and informing by our content generation, our, co our content creation. And then um, each of our client service teams, we, we keep their roles very clean. And how do you hold your people accountable? Um, how do you ensure that they you know, stick to those, that list you mentioned um, in, in those regions? Well, so we, we are not a top-down. We are the antithesis of a top-down organization. And uh, having worked in some of the large banks and consulted back to the rest of them, um, this is a breath of fresh air. This, this, uh, the work environment in PWL is, um, is exciting, has all kinds of opportunities because uh, each team leader will set their own goals. And as I, as I alluded to earlier, you can choose to grow at 25% and set that bar for yourself or not. You can say, no, I think I'm just gonna try to grow at 5%, get some referrals from my existing clients and uh, hum along. All of that is acceptable. It's all good inside PWL. Um, they probably the minimum um, requirement from, from me and the corporate team is that um, as a regula regulated firm, we're regulated on our capital requirements, on capital reserves, uh, we have financial regulation, and we have, of course, business conduct uh, regulations. And so we will never, ever do anything to jeopardize our reputation um, by trying to cut a corner um, on compliance or anything like that. Um, and interestingly, if we have time, I might be a little long-winded, I have a little anecdote to say that our regulators really did not know how to handle this strategy of generating content. And unlike the US, um, they're probably a little further along in the regulation in the, of social media, but our regulator used to say, well, how is it that you have a Twitter account for the company? How do you pre-approve messages going out on Twitter? And, you know, all the other content is pre-approved before it's disseminated. So podcasts, blogs, uh, YouTube videos, everything is pre-approved before it goes out. And they said, well, what are you doing with Twitter? This is craziness. How are you going to pre-approve what, what is said on Twitter by any of your advisors? And I said, I'm, I'm not going to pre-approve it. I said, look, you need to think of Twitter as the old version in the brokerage world of the martini lunch. <laughs> you know, was there a compliance officer at every martini lunch regulating what the advisor was saying to a client or prospect? No, <laughs> it's conversation. And so I can't possibly regulate every conversation. Now the world has changed and the conversations are happening on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I trust my advisors. If anybody says anything, you know, uh, non-compliant on Twitter, yeah, it will be a post compliance review, not a pre-compliance review. But again, I come back to something you said, Amelia, that there is a high degree of trust in our organization and we are small enough to be able to trust each other. Um, and, um, and, and that is one of the benefits of uh, being a smaller independent. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly in the UK, and it's probably the same for you in the US as well, Amelia, you know, I've found it is the independent firms that are making good use of social media. You know, yeah. the, the larger organizations that have more kind of layers of compliance aren't mm -hmm. the ones that are cracking it because, you know, the messages tend to be quite bland and quite 
stale. I'm not you know, mentioning specific people here, but it seems to me it's the independent advice businesses that are the ones that are actually making good use of podcasts, you know, social media, so on. Exactly. And, uh, and yeah, don't get me wrong. I've seen a few messages that probably wouldn't make it through a compliance committee. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm yet to see any serious repercussions for those. So um, it does make you wonder. Yeah. And uh, I think it is a tool for the smaller independents to, you know, as I said, we have to look for the white spaces in our landscape for where are the opportunities. And I liken ourselves to the mouse running between the elephant's legs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really how we are uh, gaining ground and getting market share from the organizations that dominate the landscape. And you know, how connected is this you know, independent space in Canada? I mean, Ian mentioned um, as well as as well as the UK. You know, the RIAs you know are very connected. They post on social. They tag each other. Um, and I think social media has been a huge influence in connecting advisors. Um, so have you found that your use of social has connected you even more to that the independent market in Canada, or are there other ways you know you're you're getting together and learning from one another? Um, I would say the simple answer is yes. Um, we have uh, first of all, again, when we talked about um, leadership and learning from others, that learning is not just within the four walls of PWL. It's from our industry peers. It's from all of the uh, contacts and uh, peers that we've met at conferences over the years. And we have a number of firms, there's myself, but also many of the other leaders inside PWL. We each have other peers in the industry, our network, our personal networks that we've developed over the years that we call friends of the firm, even though we are strictly competitors. Um, but we have common beliefs and we, we help each other. We share problems. How'd you solve this? And we give each other, you know, advice and help. Um, but definitely social media has connected us. There's no question that it's a much simpler, quicker connection. And Brenda, we are unfortunately getting towards the end of our podcast now, but we have another advice around the world tradition. Yeah. So we have one final question um, that get everyone to answer that I'm sure you have heard as well. So you are speaking now to the international financial planning community. What is one piece of advice and you only get one? Um, yeah. So what would you share? Um, I, would, uh, I would say uh, never underestimate the young professionals in your organization. Um, and by that, I mean, you'll be pleasantly surprised by the smart, creative minds that are, are coming and joining um, firms around the world out of university, uh, two, three, five years into their career. Never underestimate the, the young people in your firm, the young professionals. So many great ideas and creative ideas come from them. So uh, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah, and I think that's, that sounds like good advice, and especially as it's kind of served you so well with your business mm -hmm. um, so far. Look, look, thank you, Brenda. That is unfortunately all we have time for, but thanks. You were a great guest. It was really great to hear about your stories and, and also about the, uh, the market in, in Canada too. So thank you again. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
Hey, so no worries. And also, of course, thank you to everyone who's been listening in. Uh, and don't worry, we'll be back soon with another episode of Advice Around the World. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned.